God wants you and I to get to a place that we do not limit the possibilities of the impossible. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Centers or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Now with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Today, if you have your Bibles, I want to just really quickly finish last week's sermon. God, uh, you know, God kind of comes in and, and the thing that we try to do at our church is let God, you know, let God have his way. He gives a message, but the presentation of the message is, you know, is totally up to how God would lead. I've I've had great conversations with friends and say, you know, God doesn't change his mind on Sunday mornings. No, it's not about God changing his mind, but sometimes sometimes God will take and I want to emphasize on this position. See I put a message together in its entirety every week. <clears throat> but there's sometimes there's parts of the sermon that God says, Hey, let's focus on that today. And so that's what we did last week and today we're going to finish up this this sermon. And uh, the title is having a vision is literally, and I say literally without reservation, it is seeing what most can't believe. Most people in life, they don't have a clue what they're here for. Well, you and I as Christians don't have to have that problem. You notice I say don't have to have that problem. We can ask God and he will specifically give you direction uh, of what he has for your life. And over the last few weeks, we've been doing this journey called A Journey of Hope, this series. But in the middle of this series, I felt the Lord uh, put on my heart and said, you need to teach about vision, about having an individual vision for life. And so that's what I've done uh, in this series. And today, what I want to do is I want to actually show you 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 have the 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 unction of the Holy Spirit. You've got a direction God's placed on your heart. I want to help to show you how to put legs to that, to where you can actually have a life of purpose. How many think that'd be a good thing? In your notes, and I, I'm going to start. I'm going to start later on, and I'll get you to that. But I want to put up on the screen. There's a common thread that all of those who have seen God do great things in their lives, had. It's a thread that went through the beginning to the end of their life. And that was very simply, they trusted God more than their circumstances. They trusted God more than their circumstances. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, look what it says. Because Moses had faith. Would you read that with me? Because Moses had 
faith. You know what he did? The Bible says he kept his eyes on the reward that God was going to give him. How did he do that? He didn't turn from the right way, but kept seeing God in front of him. Too many times there's so many distractions in this world, we get off course simply because we take our eyes off the course. Can somebody say amen? Now what happens, the reason that happens is because the enemy, the enemy comes in every time possible to distract. Okay, but what happened with Moses, he was able to do all he did because Moses was able to see what others didn't. Just very bottom line. And that's what vision does in a person's life. I want to drop down in your notes to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is what the enemy strives to do. He tries to bring up thoughts and, and, and ideas and plans. You have something set before you, uh, and you, you're, you're working on this, and all of a sudden you get all these things popping into your head that want to detour you this way or distract you that way. Anybody besides me have that happen? You know, I never have a single distraction until I wake up. I've told God, you know, God, I'm doing really good today. I've not had a, I've not had a, a, a single issue. I've not dealt with a person. I've not had a problem. Not got angry. Not gotten bothered. But then I tell God, but I'm preparing to get out of bed now, God. Now that's going to change. I need your help. This is what happens in our life. We've got all of these distractions, but God gives us specific directions on how to deal with those distractions. Look at Second Corinthians chapter. 10 verse 5, he says, break down every thought and proud thing that puts itself above the wisdom or against the wisdom. Now, I want you to underline that word wisdom. And I want you to write in your notes that word wisdom, if it was a literal breakdown of words, it would be the understanding way. Wisdom simply means the understanding way of God. We'll say, Pastor, how... How do I know that? His word is his wisdom. How do you know God? His word. You can't know God outside of his. You can go to church all your life and have the preacher be the most eloquent orator you've ever heard. But unless you apply his word to your life, you will never have wisdom. Are you okay with that? Okay, it is the understanding way of God. I'm going to talk about Moses again in just a minute uh, and show you the how God works in his word. And it tells us to take hold of every thought and listen to this, make it obey. You've got to make it obey God's word. If not, it's going to obey your feelings. It's going to obey your emotions. It's going to obey your circumstances. It's going to obey anything at that you have set in front of it. Or you and I make it obey Christ. Jairus, one of the Pharisees, when Jesus was walking the earth, had his, his, uh, his daughter die. The people were distracting him. He was in front of the master. He was there with Jesus. And the people were distracting him and trying to deter him. Says, she's dead. Why bother the master anymore? She's gone. It's over. Done. Sealed. Zip. Zada. Nada. Done. Look at Jesus said. 
Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. It might seem like your vision, your dream, your hopes, your ambitions are gone. Not a zeta done over. And God is pricking your little heart. And you hear him. And he just said, don't be afraid. Just believe. Stand. Ephesians 6 says it this way. When you've done all you can do to stand, stand. You see, what Jesus is doing with Jairus is in your notes. He is compelling him to see what others don't see. That he can believe what never has been done. And I think I left this in your note. What Jairus, Jesus is trying to do in Jairus' life is to get him to not limit the possibilities of the impossible. That's, did I leave that in your notes? Did I leave that in your notes? I hope I did. God wants you and I to get to a place that we do not limit the possibilities of the impossible. What do I mean? You and I get frustrated with what seems to be impossible. But my Bible still tells me, and yours does too, what's impossible for man is possible with God. God said, don't limit the possibilities of the impossible. Because I'm still on the throne, God said. He tries to distract us and deter us. He tells us, don't listen only to the audible. Don't be controlled simply by the logical. He said, Jairus, believe that there's more going on than what's going on. He said, don't be afraid. Just Believe. For years and years and years as a young pastor, into my, you know, it'll be 34 years I've been pastoring next year. In all those years, a long time ago, I stopped looking for why. I always looked for the why not. Why can't God do what he said? As I shared last week, he did it for them. He'll do it for you. God is not a respecter of persons. Can you say amen? Amen. You see, we must purpose to understand that there is nothing impossible for the God we serve. Thus so. Say that with me. Thus so. That's fancy King James English. I like it. I put it right there in my notes because I liked it so much. Thus so. There is nothing impossible for the one who serves God. Look what the psalmist wrote in the 121st Psalm. He said, I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from the mountains? And then I want you to underline this in your notes. No, my strength comes from God. It doesn't come from anything. That, that the, the mountains there represents anything the world can give to overcome. He said, no, my strength comes from God who made heaven and earth. And guess what? He made the mountains too. The 84th Psalm. And if you're somebody that writes in your Bible, I don't know if you're following my notes or you're writing in your Bible, but if you do, you need to underline this. I'm reading this out of the message translation. Eugene Peterson did a good job. He's got some, you know, some bones in there, but I've always told people, eat the fish, spit out the bones, you're good. Psalm 84 says, the Lord will hold withhold no good things from those who will do what is right. 
There's a statement that I've made for many, many years is you and I have to learn to do right in the midst of the wrong. Wrong's going to happen, folks. Wrong is going to happen. Say that with me. Wrong is going to happen. But the key to it is what you do with it. It's not going away. It's not going away. You're going to be hurt. Things are going to frustrate. Things are going to aggravate. Things are going to irritate. Things are going to, you know, the whole family of Tate's. It's just going to get you. But the reality is you and I have the ability to do right in the midst of the wrong. And once we begin to realize how awesome God is, we'll begin to believe that God can do all things. Can you say amen? So how do we see what we believe? We've been believing this. But God, I, I want to I wanna see how to do this. I'm going to lay a four-point simple thing that I have done in my own personal life. You look around here, you see Victorious Life as a living entity, if you will. Well, before this was ever a living entity, it was already breathing in my mind. It was always birthed in my heart. It was already there. When I told my wife, uh, I said, okay, God wants us to start a church. I will not start it in our home. God, you're going to have to give us a room. Well, I don't have time to tell you the story of how we got into the hotel we got into. The only one that had the room and the finances that would allow it. And then just as soon as we're done and we had to move, I said, okay, God, I do not want to get into setup and tear down again. I'm done. I was, I was 50. I was in my early fifties when we started this church. I'm, I'm getting close to that big six Oh number. I'll really become a man then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so I told God, I said, God, I'm not going to do that. So God gave us this building. Amen. And when we talked to his pastor, Way, Ray, so, <laughs> Pastor Way, <laughs> I did it again. <laughs> Me and Elmer Fudd have a good relationship. When, when Pastor Way, uh, he did an eloquent job, just uh, very well dictating things. We, we've looked for years. Okay, God. We need a place. We need a place. And buying and building, to me, has never been an option. Yes, it's always been on the table. But when it started looking at thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 a month, you know how many churches fail because they are they're buried with a rent payment or a, a loan payment? I have people already complain about me talking about money. Could you imagine if we had to come up with $30,000 a month, how much money I'd be talking about? How many are praising God that we're not going into a building project like that? Oh, I knew I'd get excitement out of you then. <laughs> but it's just, it's wisdom. You know, it's wisdom and stewardship, I believe, to do it the way we're doing it. Our council agreed. Our pastors agreed. Everybody, you know, and uh, it seems to you agree. But let me break this down very simply. This is what I have done. Number one, to develop or gain any type of vision, you've got to spend time with God you got to have time alone with God. It's not these, these great awe-inspiring moments or that develop a vision. It is a private time. It's that time alone. It's, a, it's those Abraham moments when Abraham was just standing out looking at the stars. He's just quiet and he's praying. And all of a sudden, God speaks to him and says, you see the stars? Your children are going to be more than that. He said, you see the sand? More numerable. See, it was those private times, those quiet times. Moses met God there. He had him and his sheep when he passed by what seemed to be a bush that was on fire. And we know by reading the scripture, that's exactly what it was. And God spoke to him. I thought it was interesting. God said, take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. 
I think it was more than holy ground. Moses had a history of running. And you ain't going to be running across the desert with shoes off. Oh, I got a lot of people out there saying I can relate to that. God said, take your shoes off, boy. I got some stuff to talk to you. Pretty heavy. I don't want you running away. I want to talk to you. It's in those private times. David met God there. Could you remember David? He's on the hillside taking care of a few sheep, the Bible says. But he took care of them with his very life. Can I tell you something? The only way you meet God is you got to find those private times. you got to find those private times. See, living for God has more to do with understanding than knowledge. We have to learn the way of God, the understanding way. That word wisdom, I told you I would take you back to that. 103rd Psalm, look at this. God revealed... God revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. God revealed his character. In that word character, underline it and write understanding way. God revealed to Moses the knowledge of why he was doing what he was doing. See, God was showing Israel, look at this, he showed his deeds, his, his actions, or his acts to the people. Everybody could see what God has done, but Moses had to understand why God did what he did. And for you and I to accomplish what God has birthed in our hearts, we have to understand why. God, why am I doing this? I'm not just going through the motions, I understand why. This is why in Romans chapter 5, or chapter 4, verse 18, look at this. When everything seemed hopeless, Abraham believed anyway. When you are up against the wall and that vision and that hope and that ambition and that purpose, you say, God, I know this is what you want. And you're beating yourself against the wall and saying, God, what is going on? You know that you're dealing with the enemy. You know that you're dealing with the societal pressure of the world and the natural carnalistic pressures of the world. Everything seems hopeless What did Abraham do? He believed anyway. That's what you have to do. That's what I've had to do. When push come to shove in our church, people struggle. People leave. People come. People do. People don't do. It's called church. And the two things I can do is either believe God or take the shoes and put them back on and run. I got, that's the only choices I have. You see, deciding not to live on the basis of what he saw, he couldn't do. He chose to live on the basis of what he knew God could do. Can you say amen? I read a cute Chinese proverb many years ago. And the proverb said, man who says it cannot be done should not get in the way of man doing it. You know what I have found, folks? I have found that I should never tell anybody that something can't be done. Do you know why? God may have just been waiting for centuries to find somebody oblivious enough to the impossible to do it. Remember what I said a moment ago? We have to not limit The possibility of the impossible. There is always a possibility in the midst of it. 
problem that most have in doing what I'm talking about is they have to see beyond themselves. And most people can't. They can't see what they haven't done. So they don't do it. Jesus said this to you and I. According to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith. The way you choose to believe is imperative. If we believe it can't be done, folks, guess what? It can't be done. I loved uh, what, what Henry Ford said, you know, a century and a half ago. The man that believes he can and the man that believes he can't is right. To see what isn't, we have to first believe and acknowledge what is, and that is God. That is God. See, the very first thing I got to do if I'm going to ever do and put legs to what God has given me, I have to spend that private time with God. Folks, I want to I want to share something. We got a lot of stuff happening in the world. We we are celebrating, not celebrating. We are remembering 9/11 today. I come from a family of ten kids. Folks, I know what poor means, at least in America. I've lived on the bad side of the tracks. My goodness, I've lived on every side of the tracks. I'm sure I lived on the tracks at one time. But I grew up, I remember putting 10 kids in a one-bedroom home. And mom and dad got the bedroom. We had three sisters, so guess what? They got anything else that was private. Seven boys, wherever the heck you can sleep. It is what it is. You see, I learned a long time ago that I, I have no control over how I was raised. I have no control over my background, my nationality, my gifts, my talents. But I do have control on how I choose to believe and live for God. I can't control you. I can't control them. I can't control situation. I can't control anything. The only thing I can control is the two feet that are sitting right here underneath this body. And if I'm not in control, they will very shortly lose control. Can somebody say amen? That's why the Bible says, make it obey. And the only way I can do that is by spending some private time with God. I have to develop an attitude that will that will direct my convictions. Let me let me share this. This is in your notes. Our convictions are what develops our beliefs. Our beliefs are what govern the direction we go in life. An attitude is the starting point or the failing edge of vision. And the way I see it, a belief is simply something you'll live for. But can I tell you something? A conviction is something you'll die for. If you have a conviction so deep about something in your life, a belief so deep about something in your life, life or death will not matter. All that will matter is that vision, is that objective, is that purpose that has been burning in your life. Why? It is the fuel of the hopes, the ambitions, the dreams of your life. And there's something that I know about a person that really believes what they can see. They will fight with every ounce of their being to bring it to pass. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Amen. 
The greatest trait of anyone with a vision is they'll be willing to do everything for nothing. Jesus, as we conclude this sermon today, wants to open our eyes to help us see. You say, Pastor, you said you had four points. I'm coming to them. Point one took a while to establish. You see, the Bible says that that those that believe God must believe that he rewards those that are diligently seeking him. When Jesus was in a place called Gethsemane, I have taught this for years. I believe the balance of eternity hung in Gethsemane. When Jesus was praying and he's saying, my spirit is willing, but my flesh don't want to do this. I, I don't know. I, 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 I can't imagine in the furthest realm of my imagination the conflict, the battle that was going on between heaven and hell. Destiny and eternity. And as Jesus was there and he was praying, he said, Dad, any, any other way? I know what I'm coming up to. I've seen them crucify. I've seen the people. I, I know. And Father, any other way? But then he said these words. And I'm going to give you the key to the legs of your vision. No matter what. Not my will, but thy will. No matter what, not my will, but thy will be done. You see, this is the key to seeing a vision. Henry Blackaby, and many of us have read through his, his study called Experiencing God, a great Baptist brother, wrote an incredible thing, and he was able to get rid of all of the Baptist doctrine, but he, he, he advocated a great study on experiencing God. He said these say, some say, God will never ask me to do something I can't. And then he goes on to say, but I've come to the place in my life that if an assignment I sense God has given me is something that I know I can handle, it probably is not from God. Think about it. It's probably not from God. Why? If you could do it without God, who's going to get the glory? If it was your plan, your pursuit, your passion, your vision, who would get the glory? We see the world full of those people. He went on to say that kind, the kind of assignments that God gives in the Bible are always God-sized assignments. They are always beyond what people can do because he wants to demonstrate his nature, his way of doing things, his strength, his provision, his kindness to his people. And he wants the whole world to see. Because this is the only way the world will get to know him. You see, when Jesus stepped out of eternity and came into time when he stepped out of heaven and came to earth he didn't come here just to show us uh, uh, tell us about God he showed us how to live with God he showed us how to walk I kind of picture when I read the Bible and I see Jesus walking with the disciples my mind many times drifts back to to the book of, of Genesis 
where the Bible says God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. See, God wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to spend time with you. He said, unless you choose to do that, you will never fully understand what my plan for your life is. Oh, you'll still get to heaven. I'm not talking about heaven and hell here, folks. I'm talking about fulfilling that burning passion that's inside of you, that every single one of you have, but just seem to be, it's just out of my grasp, my grasp. God says, spend some time with me. You'll find this not as far away as you think. The second thing you've got to do to put legs to this, to develop this vision, is you have to take, uh, uh, you'll have to begin to believe what you believe is really real. God, this really could be you. God, this really should be you. When you really believe it's really real, you'll come to the place of saying, God, this really is you. If we don't know what we're doing and why we're doing it, all that's going to happen to your life and mind is we're going to be frustrated. Doubts are going to become rampant. They're going to try to take advantage of the plan that God has for your life. You're going to always be second-guessing. That's why you've got to come to the place and say, God, you did it for them. You'll do it for me. I'm reminded of John the Baptist. He was Jesus' cousin. He is the one that when Jesus walked over the hill, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who's to take away the sins of the world. John was the one that declared himself as the voice of one crying in the wilderness that he was going to be used to make way for the, for the purpose and passion of the Lord here on this earth. And he did. But think about it. Just a few short years later, John is thrown in prison preparing to die for the gospel. And while he's in prison, he's saying to the disciples, go ask Jesus Think about this. Think about how the enemy tries to doubt and discourage and to distract and to detour you from the plan of God for your life. He told the disciples, go ask Jesus, are you the one? Or should we look for another? If anybody knew who Jesus was, it was John. But because things didn't work out the way he thought they should, because things, I mean, my goodness, I'm, I'm the second dude here, man. I'm in prison. I'm fixing to lose 20 pounds of ugly fat. Some of you will get that when you leave. And think about it in context. How would you feel if someone you loved and trusted began to question you? John the Baptist grew up with Jesus. Loved and trusted. Now he's questioning him. Oh boy, as a pastor, I, I get that all the time. You pour your life into people, all of a sudden they second guess, they question, and all of a sudden you were the, you were the Lord's blessing, and now you're the devil's brother. I, what do you do? They start to question you, you, you might get offended. They might turn sarcastic and jaded. Well, you know, after all, I mean, come on, look at John. He should have known better. Come on, give me a break. John. Okay, everybody. You all know John's a little strange, right? Camel hair. Locust, honey. You know he's a little strange, right? No. 
Jesus knew the way of his father. Jesus knew the direction of John's life. Jesus knew the purpose of his life. And you know what he did? He did the same thing that I've been trying to do with you the last four weeks. He simply reminded John of God's word. He said, John, my father said the blind would be healed. He said the lame would walk. The deaf would hear. The dead would be raised. He said to the disciples, just go remind John. God did it for them. He's going to do it for you. He said, don't get offended at what's happening. There's times that you and I can't grasp God's ways of doing things. We can't see what God is doing. We don't understand why it's happening. But God tells us to believe even when we can't believe. I, I love the movie Miracle on 24th Street. How many, or 34th Street. How many ever saw the movie? There was one part of that movie that has always intrigued me, even as a young Christian. It was that part when, when the, the, the woman character, and I can't remember the name of the, and the adult guy character, uh, she came to a revelation of what was going on. And she said these words, common sense, or excuse me, faith is believing when common sense tells you not to. Faith is believing when common sense. See, common sense tells John, hey, something's not happening right here. But he said, I got to believe anyway. I've got to believe anyway. You've got to come to the place. You got to spend private time with God. You've got to believe what you really believe is really real. The third thing, understand quickly, is you got to see something bigger than you. If you can do it without God, it ain't God. Are you okay? We got to believe something bigger, something more important and of greater value. When you find it and you find that God's in it, grab a hold of it and don't stop until you see it fulfilled. The last thing that I give you as the worship team comes. How do I know that this really is God? When you put your legs into it, it's just going to take courage to fulfill it. You have to have courage to fulfill the vision. To open our eyes means that we must be willing to see and step out of the known into the unknown. And only God can open the eyes of our heart to help us See that. Only God can get you past the eyes of the natural, the senses of the carnal, to the heart of the spiritual, which are the, are, are the eyes that see the ways of God. You've got to believe more is going on than what's going on. I love John Wayne. You know what John Wayne said? Courage is being scared to death. And saddling up anyway. Courage is being scared to death. And saddling up anyway. We've got to have God open the eyes of our hearts. You see I believe God has, a, has given you a vision that burns inside of you. But I also believe it's time that you do something about it. It's time that you become like Peter and take a step out of that boat. It's time for you to become like Daniel and trust even though you're in the midst of the lion's den. 
It's time that you might be like the three Hebrew children and you find yourself in a fiery furnace and everything around you saying, God, something doesn't look right. And God says, okay, I'm not going to take you out. I'm just going to come in the middle of it with you. It doesn't always go the way that we think it does. But God said, if I put it in your heart, I birthed it in your heart, I'm burning it in your heart, put legs to it and start stepping out to see God bring it to pass. Can you say amen? That's pretty simple. That's how I do it. That's how my wife and I have gotten to the place we are today. That's how God's going to take us into this new building. That's how God's going to fulfill all that he had. You see, God's vision never ends. God's vision never ends. He's just looking for people that are oblivious, oblivious enough to what's happening around them to say, impossible? No, my God's name is possible. I think I'll do it anyway. I think I'll do it anyway. Can somebody say amen? Pastor Tim Masters with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 at the Flagstaff Middle School Complex. I'm Joe Harding. For Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Centers, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast. We are-